This sermon is brought to you by Shofar Christian Church. We hope that you will be blessed by this message. Our audio and video sermons are also available on Shofar TV to download and share. Praise the Lord. Um, we're continuing in, in this series on being a laborer. And we are not going to recap everything. Otherwise, we're going to keep you here for a very long time. But in Luke chapter 10, Jesus sends sends these 70 people out the disciples there were different groups of disciples that he sent out how many let me just see how many of you were were here last week let's not ask who were not here last week okay so almost almost 60 65 percent how many of you were not here last week can you remember uh, some students can't you know be here for more than you know think five days ago you're just planning for tomorrow um, it's sunday today tomorrow monday okay so um, but in luke chapter 10 is this awesome place where Jesus sends the 70, they're not properly equipped, they're not like the intellectual people of the University of Jerusalem, uh, just a couple of fishermen. And he sends them and he, and he wants us to know some principles because as he sends them, he appointed them, he sent them, he commissioned them like we commission people. It's very spiritual when people pray for you and commission you and when they send you and they receive you. He sent them in agreement two by two. He sent them before his face. He talks about an intimacy, a place of relationship. It's not because of rule or regulations. And then he said to them, as you go, you must pray for the Lord of the harvest to raise up laborers. Because like we saw tonight, one billion people, one billion people live on 20 rand a day. Um, I don't think, you know, we, we have got a clue of how many people are just, you know, the world is lost without Jesus. And that's why we need to go. Some people say, like, why do you go to India? Well, there's how many people that's never even heard the name of Jesus? So Jesus says, the harvest is ready, but the laborers are few. And even here on campus, we've had a couple of people, there's a couple of students sitting here that's, when they came here, they haven't heard the gospel ever. You know, even Europe today, Europe is one of the darkest continents concerning the gospel because of, postmodernism, a humanistic way of thinking, and yet Europe is struggling with so much anxiety, so much depression, and the only reason for that is because Jesus is not part of Europe anymore. <laughs> so lots of African churches are going back to Europe to plant there where the gospel originally came from. So missionaries are going back. Amen? I'm excited about that. And I like, like the church in Africa because they have services of six hours or seven hours, eh? Where's the minister, where's minister of finance, Socks, are you here? Told me like, you know, they only warm up in the first three hours when they preach, but hallelujah, I like that. Okay, so it says, go your way, verse 3 in Luke chapter 10, go your way, behold, I send you as lambs among wolves. Whoa, what a statement. I send you as lambs among wolves. In the natural, Christians cannot survive or make it in the world. He says, as I'm sending you out on this mission, I show you a picture of lambs among wolves. But in that, he begins to explain to them a couple of things. He says, don't, don't just, you know, don't think about, don't worry about your provision. Don't worry about your knapsack, your sandals or anything. And he says, as you go, be focused. He says, don't greet anyone even along the road. <laughs> go because you're on a mission. Because one of the things that will keep you out of the kingdom of God is distractions, options. So many things that I can do that at the end of your life, you actually would come and say, sure, if I could only just have 
not being so much distracted. And that's why David prayed a prayer in the Psalms. He says, Lord, unite my heart so that I can fear your name. He says, God, there's so many distractions, so many things happening around me, so many good things that I have a choice of, but Lord, let my primary concern be to let all the nations worship you and glorify you. Seek first the kingdom of God and all the things will be added. But see, what we do is we just add God to all the things we're doing. We say, Lord, be involved in my life. We spoke about it last week, consumerism. Just another option. God is just another option for many people. But Jesus sends these 70 because he says it's not about how great you are and how much you know, but I'm sending you on this mission that is impossible. Mission impossible. That was the first Mission Impossible movie. Okay, sending these 70 out. And he says, don't even greet them, but as you enter, have discernment, because as you're going to go from house to house, you need to discern the man of peace. Some houses don't go in there because they're not going to receive you. They're not going to receive the gospel. Some people are going to say bad stuff about you. They persecuted you, so they're going to persecute me. They persecuted me, so they're going to persecute you. That's part of the gospel. I will say if some people don't say bad stuff about us as a church, then we're in trouble because then we're not preaching the gospel. Then we're preaching a man-made gospel because if people like you so much, it means you just look just like the world. And he says in verse 6, And if a son of peace is there, your peace will rest on it. If, if not, it will return to you. And so he comes and he goes on and he says, Go from house to house. When people receive you, when you can actually leave a blessing, you can actually leave something, a deposit of God's peace in that house or in that life. Because of the kingdom of God in you. The kingdom isn't something out there. The kingdom is inside of you. Because the king rules and the king reigns. His name is Jesus. And he says in verse 9, And heal the sick there and say to them, The kingdom of God has come near to you because I'm coming near to you. I have an expectation that when I go into a place, doesn't matter how dark it is, the kingdom is going to come. Because I've been sent by God. You are here on this earth on a mission. God's mission. You're not here by chance trying to figure out stuff, but you're a sent one. That's what the word apostle means. To be apostolic is mean a sent one, somebody that's been commissioned by God. And that's why you cannot be rooted here. This is not our home. If you are a Christian here tonight, this is not your home. Can you say amen? You're just passing through. There's another home. Don't be rooted here. You'll get disappointed. But what happens, the, the 70 comes out and they say, wow, the demons are manifesting, things are happening. And, and Jesus then says in verse 20, nevertheless, do not rejoice in this, that the spirits are subject to you, but rather rejoice because your names are written in heaven. Rejoice in your salvation. Rejoice in the fact that you have eternal life. Don't, don't look on the outside and all the things are happening because that's going to be very exciting when you are in the kingdom of God. But don't look to the blessing, look to the blessor. Don't look to the breakthrough, look to the one who brings the breakthrough. Don't look to the deliverance, look to the deliverer. Don't look to the healing, look to the healer. Amen? Because it's in a person, it's in Christ. Thank you for your enthusiasm, I'm picking up some speed. So we looked at four things last week. Know what you believe, know how to live out your belief, the power of prayer and faith that comes with it, and the power of believing together. So if you missed it out, missed out the first last week, you can look on the Shofar Stellenbosch Facebook page. All the sermons are on there. You can go and study in the holidays. But those were the four things we focused on. So now we're going to continue. Turn to your neighbor and say, you are looking fresh tonight.
I have to warn you that um, my wife was away this week, so it was just us, Josh, and the children, and so I have three children, and um, it's the best weekend ever, because we only eat meat, pizza, meat, pizza, meat, pizza, meat, pizza, so I've got a lot of protein, and so we're going, going strong. Okay, so Matthew 16, so we're picking up, what does it mean to be a laborer? In essence, Jesus came and he was teaching these group of disciples a lot of principles. So when you read the, the word of God, it's not about how you read it all the time. And it's not about how excellent you read it. It's about applying the word of God in your life. Because if we are a hearer of the word and not a doer of the word, scripture says we're deceived. Then we just become consumers. And that's the challenge in the church. Even a lot of more charismatic churches today a lot of people come and they think they're doing God a favor by coming to church and then sitting around. But you're not doing God a favor. Sorry. Amen or ouch. Ouch. <laughs> yeah. So I went with some Angus to America and I was shocked about the state of the church. Big buildings, big stuff, but very few laborers. Very few people that said, hey, Lord, I, I want to go. And, and the problem is if that happens, and remember now the picture Jesus said, he, said, he says, I'm going to send you like lambs among, among wolves. And in John 10, he describes to us that those wolves are false prophets, false teachers, deception in the church. You will get deceived. Uh, this coming Sunday morning, we're going to talk about deception. Because the greatest deception is self-deception. Self-deception is if when you give in to sin and you deceive yourself by just thinking, well, I'm going to just continue. Because you know what? I'm watching this porn, but it doesn't do anything to anybody else. I'm not hurting anybody else. But you're killing yourself. You're self-deceived. There's sin and the snare of sin brings self-deception. But then there's a lot of deception out there. People that want to follow God, but they're not bringing the truth. And there's some reasons for that. And we're going to look at one of those moments when Jesus encountered Peter and, and what happened. And I'm going to just sort of give you the background because we don't have enough time tonight. But Matthew 16 is a profound passage of where Jesus comes and he begins to ask his disciples a couple of questions. This is sort of where he picks off and then we're going to read from verse 21 now. now. So just keep that, just switch it off quickly, Moshe. Let me just give you the background. So Jesus comes to his disciples, to Peter and these guys, and he says, Peter, who do the people out there say that I am? And then um, Peter says, well, they say you're Elijah, some say you're a prophet. There's a lot of rumors of who Jesus is out there. Even today, there's a lot of people saying Jesus was a nice guy, he was a good guy, he's a surfer dude, he's a whatever. People have lots of perceptions of Jesus, you know, cool buddy or whatever. And, um, and then Jesus turns around and he talks, looks straight at Peter and he says, but Peter, who do you say that I am? And God will regularly ask us, who do you say Christ is in your life? And then Peter answers and says, you are the Christ. You are the son of the living God. And then Jesus marvels and he says, wow, blessed are you, Simon Barjona, because flesh and blood has not revealed this to you, but my father in heaven. And based on this revelation, I'm going to give you the keys of the kingdom and the gates of Hades shall not prevail against it. And whatever you bind on the earth will be bound and whatever you loose will be loose. So Peter has this amazing revelation that Jesus, you're not just an ordinary man. You're not just Elijah. You're not John the Baptist. You're not just a prophet. You're not, you're not just a natural person. You're the son of God. And he actually says, you are the Christ. Christ means anointed one, one who operates under the Holy Spirit. You are the Christ, the son of the living God. You're not a son of a dead God or a religious or a 
lawful God. You are the Christ, the Son of the living God. Say, the Christ, the Son of the living God. Whoa. And then Jesus says, based on this revelation, I'm going to give you keys, and this kingdom is going to come. And um, unfortunately, there's some, some whole groups of churches that says Peter himself was the founder of the church, but it wasn't Peter. Peter's name was The Rock, um, and so they built a whole religious system around Peter himself, but it wasn't Peter. It was the revelation of who Jesus was. And so that's the beginning. And so you see like, whoa, Peter, you got it right. This is amazing. And now the story continues. The same guy that had this massive revelation of Jesus. In verse 21, the story continues. And let's pick up. From that time, Jesus began to show to his disciples that he must go to Jerusalem. And suffer many things from the elders and chief priests and scribes. And be killed and be raised the third day. Just in verse 20 he says, don't tell anybody that I'm the Messiah. He told his disciples, don't tell anybody I'm Jesus. Don't tell them. You have this revelation, Peter, but don't tell them. And now he begins to talk about the cross. Oh, then Peter took him aside and began to rebuke him saying, far be it from you, Lord. This shall not happen to you. There's an exclamation mark, okay? But he turned and said to Peter, get behind me, Satan. You are an offense to me, for you are not mindful of the things of God, but the things of men. Just this moment, Peter had this amazing revelation of who Jesus was. And now Jesus begins to tell him, but Peter, what I'm going to do is not fitting into your box, because what happened is the Jews believed that Jesus was going to physically rule on the earth. That's why they wanted to make him king at a stage. And when he started to talk about the cross, they said, no, no, no. This doesn't fit our box because the Romans are oppressing us. And we want freedom. We want you to call down the lightning, Jesus. We want you to zap these people and poof these people and just rule, Jesus. And we're going to sit at your throne physically. But Jesus was talking about a spiritual throne. He was talking about a spiritual kingdom. And so here, Peter takes now, he says, Jesus, I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to sort you out. We, we have to have a little bit of a discussion. Isn't it amazing how we as Christians many times come to God and say, God, I'm... I'm praying today, but have you noticed? Huh? We try to counsel God. Lord, Lord, have you noticed that the, the country is in quite a bad state? Um, Lord, should you not do something about it? <laughs> like we like we want we want to lecture God. We want to lecture the God of the universe on what he must do. Then is this moment in the New Testament where Jesus turns around and he says, get behind me, Satan. Now, nobody's going to write that on their wall, the scripture of the day, <laughs> you know. Jesus, I feel like Satan today, you know. <laughs> you know? We all want to like, I'm an overcomer in Jesus. I'm like this awesome dude in Jesus. But, but here Peter was so influenced by his circumstances that he fell into deception. He was so focused by his needs or what he thought he needed, that Jesus looks right at him and says, get behind me, Satan. You cannot lead Jesus. Jesus needs to lead you. And that's what he says, get behind me. I'm going somewhere, but you need to fall into line. And isn't that amazing when Jesus stands up in front of you and he begins to tell you, look, that part, that part of your life needs to get behind me. That influence, that thing in your life, get behind me. 
And then he begins to describe to us what it means to be a disciple. Verse 24. Then Jesus said to his disciples, this is not just a big revelation, big rebuke. And now he says, I'm going to show you what it means to be a disciple. What does it mean to be a laborer and a follower of Christ? Then Jesus says to his disciples, if anyone desires to come after me, let him deny himself and take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it, but whoever loses his life for my sake will find it. For what profit is it to a man if he gains the whole world and loses his own soul? Or what will a man give in exchange for your soul? Sure. He just brought order to this massive deception. And let me tell you, there's a massive deception in the church in the West. We want to lead Jesus. We want to be in charge. We want to tell him what to do, and he must fall into line with what we're doing. And then God says, no, if you want to follow me, there are three things needed. You see, there's a gospel that's being preached. I call it the motivational gospel, but you can almost say it's a humanistic gospel. It's where man is the center of the gospel and not God's needs, but man's need is. And that's why when he rebukes Peter, he says, Peter, this thing, you offend me. Do you know you can offend God? You offend me because you are mindful of the things of what people think. You're not mindful of the things that God thinks. Sure. You offend me, Peter, by saying to me, I can't go to the cross. Because you're trying to rebuke me and telling me what, how I should do it. But see, the humanistic gospel will be so superficial. Because there's no power. There's no change. And there's no life that flows out of it. And that's why Jesus says, if you want to desire to follow me, you need to deny yourself. Your biggest enemy is not the devil, it's you. Take that finger. Okay, and Stephen Lugo always talks about the finger. Okay, point it straight at you. Look at that finger and say, you are sometimes an enemy of you. They're going to think we're mad. Now the rumors are going to spread like those people in the church talk about. <laughs> so, so in essence, the humanistic desire to survive, the humanistic desire to prosper by himself outside of God is your biggest enemy. Because you can walk in all the revelation and you can even read the Bible 300 times, but if you don't come to the basics of saying, sure, I need to be a follower of Christ. I need to follow. <laughs> that means it's tough because to start to follow means I want to go this way and he is walking. Just like he did with, you know, at this later stage or before that, he called the, the guys and, and said, you know, come throw your nets out on this side. And they said, well, Jesus, this doesn't work because, you know, we're the fishermen, you're the carpenter. Don't tell us. We've tried to catch fish all night. And then they bring out this massive heap of fish. When they come to the front, they come outside and Jesus just starts walking. He says, come, you follow me. Come, you follow me and then I'll make you. Don't, don't ask to be made first and then you follow. First follow. But in that following, deep in essence is a sinful nature, humanistic way of wanting to follow God. We want to just add him to our program. And he says, I don't understand that. Because that's, you become an enemy of the gospel and the enemy of the work of God in your life if you don't deny yourself. 
So denying of self is at the root and at the essence of that. And then the second thing he says, take up your cross. Luke, the writer Luke, he was a doctor. He actually adds another word. He says, daily take up your cross. What does it mean to take up your cross? It talks about sacrificial service. Now, that is not part of the modern-day gospel in the West. It says, hey, Jesus is really here to serve you. But I'm asking you tonight, are you really here to serve him? Because unfortunately, that is like basic 101. If you're not willing to serve, if you're not willing to make a sacrifice in that serving, where it's not me, but God's needs first. Not me, but the people around me, they need first. It's called love. Love God. Love your neighbor. Then you can't be a laborer. But yet, unfortunately, we don't want that because we don't want to take up our cross. And like when John said so beautifully tonight, it's, it's not like, oh, you know, because you see these people that every year they take up crosses and then they crucify themselves again. We don't need to be crucified again, okay? It doesn't mean like take this big cross Put it there in your room, and then every day you walk around with this big cross. And say, oh, yeah, it's so hard to follow God. It's so hard to follow God, you know. It's the most amazing thing to do the will of God because you've been made to worship God. You've been made to do His will. You'll be very unsatisfied in your life when you don't do the will of God in your life because you've been made to glorify Him. You've been made to live with Him. So it is not a condemnation. It's an invitation. And then the third thing, thank you for that amen. There's been a lot of amens tonight. He says, follow him. He doesn't say be equipped first, get ready. Like with the 70, I think like, Jesus, you sent the 70 at the most, the wrongest time ever. These guys didn't know anything. They were not spiritful. They were not doing everything they needed to do. There wasn't like a 10 step of this and being a better Christian and all that stuff. Jesus says, okay, you know me now, so go. I would have chosen some other people. <laughs> but he says, follow me. Jesus is always walking. And to be a laborer means that, that you and I learn that the highest form of worship is obedience. It's not the songs we sing. It's not our experiences. Those experiences are great. It, it sort of gives us a sense of significance, a sense of identity. There's there's amazing moments where God will define you when you meet Him. Those moments, but you can't just have a quiet time in the morning for 20 minutes and then you continue for the rest of your life on your own. It's a daily following. It's a daily taking up your cross. But it's a place of obedience because obedience is, isn't this heavy yoke. Jesus said, my yoke is easy and my burden is light. He says, come and yoke with me because you're not doing things for Him, you're doing it with Him. And what a better thing than to just say, God, I'm in partnership with you. So I'm just saying, Holy Spirit, what are you, what are you up to today? What are you doing today? And where God is moving, we're going to be there because the kingdom is coming. And that's what he told these 70s is when you go out, hey, tell them the kingdom is here. He says, heal the sick. It's not an option. It's not like preach the gospel and sometimes heal the sick. He says, when you go into the house, heal the sick there. <laughs> Pray for them. Preach the gospel in and out of season. But see, very few people want to live obedient lives. And many of us, 
that's younger than 25. We've been unfortunately trained to be disobedient. Because your parents did you a great disfavor by never teaching you that there's consequences to disobedience. So a lot of people get deceived and offended with God when God begins to say, hey, I'm going to discipline you a little bit. Hey, I'm, I, I need to bring you in line because I love you so much. That's a concept that's not known in the Western world. But I told you the story, uh, I think it was about 10 Ten days ago, I met up with a pastor from, from the East. And for them, to be able to preach the gospel, you must be, in their seminary is you must be, like their teaching, theology, theological school, is you must have been in prison for three years. You don't qualify to be called a pastor if you're not in prison for three years. Because that's, that's really your training ground. Anybody want to sign up for full-time ministry? Just put up your hand. <laughs> you know? No, no, no. I want the degree and then I want to be important. Sure. But see, deception works like this in our lives. That it's, it's like Jesus said, it's like wolves in sheep's clothing would come. And we're seeing it in our nation at the moment. God is stirring a lot of things. But he's also bringing to the front a lot of deception. False prophets, false teachers, people that... Don't raise the dead, they raise the living. What a miracle, raising the living. Okay, some of you haven't got a clue what I'm saying, but there was this pastor that faked, staged a whole dead man, and the, the guy rose, you know? But now he's acknowledged that the guy was actually alive. So raising the live people, you know, what an amazing thing. But you see, and listen, listen to me, if the gospel, the gospel has got three aspects to it. The first is called justification. That's my relationship with God, being born again. But if you just focus on justification and you don't focus on sanctification, you will have no glorification. The gospel has got three parts, justification, sanctification, and glorification. Now I've lost some of you. What, what, what? What nation? What nation? No, it's not nations. It's words. Okay, so the first one is to be righteous because God gives us a gift of salvation. It's not earned. He gives us the grace to do his will. He empowers us to do his will. It's called justification. The just shall live by faith. But if people don't talk about sanctification, holiness, living a holy life that is different than the world, then you will never know the glory that we sang of. Because God can only... Come into your life and reveal his glory with a holy people. People that are different and separate. They don't look like the world. Sure. So we're getting it all over the place. You know, people make their churches shorter, their church services and everything. Everything to accommodate people. I actually spoke to a lady this week and she said to me, I said, oh, okay, you know. She said, what church do you belong to? I said, no, no, shofar. She said, um, oh. And when you get that, oh, then you realize, oh, okay, this is going to be an interesting conversation. She doesn't know I'm the pastor, you know. So, but in the case, I say, oh, okay, have you heard, you know, what have you heard? Good things or bad things? She says, oh, both. I said, oh, okay, what bad things have you heard? Oh, their worship is so long. Their services is so long. You're going to miss the soccer every Sunday night? I said, oh, 
I was very tempted to ask her, what are you going to say to Jesus when you get to heaven? Oh, these billions of people are just like, there's too many here and the worship is too long. Now, I didn't say that. I didn't say that. Meekness, meekness means all power under control. Okay, so you're like, you have the meek shall inherit the earth. That's some scriptures that come to mind, you know, when, when I speak like that. And I, and I was thinking like, lady, obviously you just, you just don't know because maybe you just haven't seen God. Because once you see him, there's no other place where you want to be. Then the soccer becomes very unattractive. And you'll never walk alone, you know? I don't know what the song was, but in any case, uh, <laughs> that's just for the Liverpool fans, okay? But so, the amazing thing is, is, is we are so, it's so easy for us to get satisfied with worldly things. But because there's no holiness in the church, there's no conviction, there's no sanctification. But the amazing thing is God is beginning to raise up a generation. Sure. It just says, Lord, we, we, we're tired of the things of the world because we can see right through it. It will not satisfy us. And meeting with God is not boring, people. Once you see who he is, oh, your life is changed. There's no other place where you want to be. But the, the devil wants to distract us. And that's why Jesus says, when you go to these cities, don't greet even anyone on the road. I'm not, he's not saying be loveless. He just says be focused, okay? How do you say that in Nigeria? Focused, okay? Be focused, you know? But so, go for it. We have to take out the Nigerians among us. We love them. We love them. Uh, yeah. Praise the Lord. So Jesus says, go, don't, don't worry. And focus. He says, don't worry about what you're going to eat, all that stuff. There will be provision, but, but just go and focus. And then learn the things of the kingdom. You can leave your peace there. You can, you can release the kingdom of God because I'm with you. So just the last slide. And that was what makes the voice of God so amazing. Because a lot of people today would ask us, if you want to follow God, you need to know his voice. And John 10 we spoke about it this morning in the morning service. That's why some of you must wake up a bit earlier and come to the morning service. But um, Jesus said, my sheep hear my voice. A lot of young people would come and say, but I don't hear God's voice. I don't know God's voice. Well, I tell you, you hear it. This only problem is there's so many other things screaming so loud. That's why you struggle. And the voice of your flesh, the voice of your circumstances, the voice of your studies, there's a lot of voices that shout loud. But the amazing thing is, God said, my sheep hear my voice. So if you know Jesus and you're born again here tonight, you know his voice. You are, you've heard his voice. It's just so important that you quiet all the other voices. That's why we have a quiet time every day, because we quiet the other voices so that we can tune into God's voice. So how does God speak? He speaks through his Logos word, his written word, his Rhema word, his revelation word. God speaks through nature. Get out in nature. Sometimes just go... Climb the mountain. Don't just do it. Just don't do it alone. But go climb the mountain. Okay. God speaks through a still small voice. God speaks through your conscience, which is that internal referee. God speaks through people, because you were never designed 
to live as a Christian in isolation. The body of Christ. If you don't belong to a local church and you don't belong to a small group, belong. They're going to irritate some. Some of them are going to irritate you till you don't like them until you like them. Why? Because they're different and God has designed them to irritate you. So that you can practice patience and love and kindness and long-suffering <laughs> and patience. You need other people in your life that are different. God would use circumstance. God would use the supernatural dreams, visions, prophecy. Because we're not blindly following God. God wants to release His Word into your life. And that's why Jesus said, my sheep, hear my voice. Part of following him is listening and learning how to hear his voice and to follow him. And this is the picture. The shepherds would take up the sheep up onto the mountain every night. And then all the sheep would mix. And then there was this little crawl, this little uh, area with a little um, sort of a wall this, this high. And there was a big hole in front. And all the shepherds would sleep in that hole while the sheep would all be inside for protection. That's why Jesus said, I am the door. No one can come in except through me to the Father. He says, I'm the great shepherd. And the amazing thing is that every day in the morning as they would like go to these green pastures, all the shepherds would stand up and all of them would start to walk in different directions. And all they'll do is just speak. And then the sheep would all divide and start to follow their master because the sheep knows the voice of their master. That's why Jesus says, I'm not a hireling, I'm not a wolf, I'm a true shepherd. And so that thing that secures you or brings you into the fullness of God is the voice of God, is being a laborer, is the fact that, wow, I know the presence of God and I know the voice of God. And God would speak to all of us in different ways, but primarily through his word and primarily through the still small voice. The only challenge is it sounds just like your voice. Sometimes difficult, especially when you start out as a Christian to hear the voice of God because you think, like, is it just me thinking it? Is it just like, no, it's God speaking. That's where the following starts. Thank you for listening. Remember that our sermon audio and videos are also available on Shofar TV. Go to www.shofaronline.tv to download and share.